0: And this morning, we are in Philippians chapter 2. We are going to complete the chapter today, verses 17 through 30. The title is Joy and Honor in Serving, Philippians chapter 2. So once you locate that, we're moving verse by verse through the book of Philippians, as we always do with books of the Bible. Once you have it, if you're able to stand, would you stand with us for the reading of the passage? Philippians 2 17. Paul writing, even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy. And you can see that Paul was from the South with (laughs) y'all. You too, 18, I urge you rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary, 25, to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Because he was longing for you all, he was from the south as well, and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, So that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I've sent him all the more eagerly so that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Father, we thank you for the living word of God. And we thank you of how it is so practical, so powerful, so beautiful. May our hearts be open to it being written right there, and may it lead our feet to the way that you'd have us to go. We want to have the attitude of Christ. We want to work out our salvation, as we studied last time, with fear and trembling. You are worth our commitment. So we lay this time at your feet. May you be glorified in both the teaching and the receiving of your word. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So, joy and honor in serving is the title. When Paul went into the Roman colony of Philippi, about 800 miles from Rome, he preached the gospel, and we met three stories of transformation as it relates to salvation. The first person we meet is Lydia, and she was a businesswoman, well to do. And the Lord opened her heart to the gospel. She was praying down by the riverside. And uh, she heard the gospel, opened up her heart and her home to the gospel of Jesus Christ. As they were moving through the town, you remember a second story of salvation or transformation. That is the servant girl. She was demon possessed, making her owners a ton of money. Paul got annoyed as she was following them around. He cast the spirit out of her. She was set free. She's another story of transformation. And the third one is the Philippian jailer. As Paul and Silas are in prison and singing hymns, you know what happened. The Lord shook the prison. The chains fell off. He was gonna take his life, but nobody left, and he was trembling there in front of Paul. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus. You and your household will be saved. And of course, he did that. Three stories of transformation. Three different walks of life, you could say. A wealthy businesswoman, a servant girl, maybe at the lowest part of society, who was demon-possessed, and a guy that worked in a jail. That's a pretty good sampling of how the Lord transforms people from all different walks of life. Now we're going to move from three stories of transformation to three stories of sanctification or working out our salvation. And last time we were together, we studied working out your salvation with fear and trembling or working out what God is working in you. And some of you may have been wondering about the fear and trembling part. And I mentioned to you that God is worthy of us to walk in the fear of the Lord. But here's something else. And I heard a pastor say this this week. He said that Paul was scared in this sense. He never wanted his witness to be disqualified by his life. Remember, in 1 Corinthians 9, he said, I beat my body and I make it my slave, lest after preaching to others, I myself might be Disqualified. I think that's part of the fear and trembling that I put before you is a sober assessment of who we are so that we walk carefully and wisely so that after preaching to others, we don't lose our witness and become you know, someone that someone could mock uh, in terms of the cause of Christ. And so what we're, what we're going to get now is these three stories of transformation, three different men impacted by the gospel, and now working out what God was working in them. We're going to look at Paul the Apostle, Timothy, a young pastor or minister, and a man named Epaphroditus, who may have been a layman, uh, a congregant in the Philippian church, or he may have been their pastor. There's a little bit of debate on what he actually was, but we're going to learn more about him. And in those three stories, we're going to see how we work out what God is working in us. And it's all gonna be wrapped and saturated in the joy of the Lord, balancing out. Yeah, we walk in fear, we walk wisely, but we also have joy. Let me just set the table for you by reminding you of three practical applications we talked about in uh, the verses leading up to verse 17. We talked about how when we work out our salvation, we do it without grumbling or complaining. That's Philippians 2.14. How many of you took the P2.14 challenge this week? Anybody? Anybody? All right. How'd you do? (laughs) See, you did surprisingly well. Now here's the thing. If you're just thinking about doing all things without grumbling or complaining, you will catch yourself. Amen? Now, I think many of you if I lined you up, you, you would say, I caught myself this week. I was about to go there, and I I'd grumble, grumble, and murmur, murmur, and grumble. And you're like, oh, oh, wait a minute. The 214 P214 challenge supposed to do all things without grumbling or complaining. So I was in the sound booth last night, the final kids' praise play, and two boys came up to me. And they were like, Pastor Michael, great sermon on Sunday. I think you might be responsible for that. P214 challenge, and we did a high five. And it was great. And little kids were calling me out on the P214 challenge. This is awesome. No, but they, they were appreciative of it. And here's the thing. We all can remember this. This is one way we work out our salvation. We try not to be complainers, right? We, we, there are times that we need to vent and all of that, but you get the point. We're to have a different attitude among us. So the P214 challenge. The second way... Uh, Last week, just uh, recapping. We shine by walking a pure and straight path. That's Philippians 2.15. We're going to shine for God by not walking the way the crooked uh, and perverse world is walking. And a third way in verse 16 is we hold fast to the gospel called the word of life and we hold out the gospel to others. Now that leads us into verse 17 and it reads this way. Even if, Paul writing... I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. I rejoice and share my joy with you all. And you too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Now the metaphor that's gonna carry uh, the bulk of this teaching ahead of us is a drink offering. And Some of you may be asking the question, what is a drink offering? What does that mean? The earliest record of a drink offering is actually in the book of Genesis. We're gonna turn there. It's the first book of the Bible. And we're gonna see the drink offering in the life of Jacob. Let's turn over to Genesis. Uh, we're gonna pick it up in verse Genesis 35, verse one. Now, you all know that Jacob was a conniver, right? His name really means something like a conniver. He stole the birthright and the blessing from his brother, he was a manipulator. That's what, the way we would say it. But his life had a lot of twists and turns and God was working in his life. And we pick up his story in Genesis 35 with the drink offering in mind. The earliest record of it is here. God said to Jacob, Genesis 35, one, arise and go up to Bethel and live there. Make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods which are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Let us arise and go up to Bethel and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods, verse four, which they had and the rings which were in their ears and Jacob hid them under the oak, which is near Shechem. Skip down to verse seven. He built an altar there and called the place El-Bethel, because there God revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried below Bethel under the oak. It was named Alan bakuth Then God appeared to Jacob again, when he came from Padan Aram, and he blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob, but you shall no longer be called Jacob. Israel shall be your name." Now, this is the key moment in Jacob's life where he goes through a name change from something like Conniver to Israel. That name, scholars would say, means something like this governed by God. James Montgomery Boyce, who's gone home to be with the Lord, a great commentator on the Bible, argued that the name actually means something like this God prevails. That's what Israel means. God prevails. Jacob had been manipulating. Now he was going to be governed by God. So that's the name. And this is the idea of what it means to be a drink offering. It means that your life is now poured out in service to God. In fact, the Greek word for drink offering, for those of you who are taking notes, is spendo. Spend with an O on the end. Now think about it. It has to do with how you're going to spend your life. I heard a story about C.T. Studd. He was a man who lived in the late 1800s and he was from a very well-to-do family in England. Cricket player, great athlete. And his father went to a D.L. Moody uh, evangelistic meeting and became a Christian and really wanted his sons to be believers. And he was trying to get evangelists to come over to the house, etc. but they, they were just not open or they, they would say the right words, but weren't saved. One day an evangelist came over and, and uh, shared with C.T. Studd and he became a believer. And as he thought about uh, you know, the soul and what's really going to last, He became a missionary to China and then a missionary to Africa. And his father was a wealthy man and left him a huge estate. And C.T. Studd gave it all away. Gave all the inheritance away for the work of the gospel. Now, if that speaks to you and you're thinking of doing something similar, we'd like to meet you after the service. We can talk about, just kidding. You guys know we all need balance with these things. But that's what the Lord put on C.T. Studd's heart. And so there was a little portion of the inheritance that he wanted to give to his wife to make sure she was taken care of. He was going back and forth to the mission field, et cetera. And she said, oh, no, you don't. If you gave everything away, you give my portion away as well. And they lived their lives basically by faith, spending their lives, and here's a key idea of what, on what will really last. That is what is eternal. Prior to becoming a Christian, I only lived for what was really in front of me. You know, the immediate, if you will, uh, pursuits and pleasures and the like. When I became a Christian, eternity became a key concept in my heart. I wanted my life to last. I wanted my legacy and not just my legacy, but my work and what I pour into to count for something beyond this temporal life, amen? Drink offering, spendo, is really this idea of an animal sacrifice. What they would do is they would put like a lamb or a bowl, if you will, on the altar, a burnt offering, etc., cetera, and the smoke would be going up to God, and they would take a portion of wine and add it to the sacrifice. That's a drink offering. It's a bit of a mysterious offering, where a lot of the offerings, you can clearly connect them to Christ, like the burn offering, the peace offering, etc. The drink offering is a little bit more mysterious, but it was literally wine added to another sacrifice. And here's what would happen. Kind of like if you were barbecuing in your backyard and you had some stuff on the grill, and let's say the fire got really hot and you sprayed some water on it or poured some water, the steam that goes up into the air is this idea of the drink offering. It's a life that is poured out to God. And you can pour yourself into a lot of things in this life, amen? There are things that will consume your time. You can spend all day on social media. You can spend you know, the bulk of your life working at an office, whatever, whatever it is that you do. And I'm not saying that that's bad, but I'm saying ultimately for believers, we wanna live our lives for what will count for eternity. This is the drink offering. So now Jacob's name has been changed from his will to God's will. Fits really well with the idea of the drink offering. And God also said to him, after renaming him to Israel, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation, a company of nations shall come from you. Kings shall come forth from you. The land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give it to you. And I will give the land to your descendants after you. Then God went up, verse 13, from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. And he poured out a drink offering on it. He also poured oil on it. And so Jacob named the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. If you just look at that name, Beit or Beth is the word for house in Hebrew and El is the name of God. So the name means house of God. And so, this is a poignant moment for Jacob where I think, thinking about the drink offering, you think about Jacob saying, If you've renamed me to God Prevails, I'm going to do this ceremony, if you will, to represent my life being poured out in service now to your will and not my will. That is a huge turning point for every believer to come to, where you finally say to the Lord, It is no longer going to be my will. It's going to be your will. And there are scholars that differ on what the drink offering imagery means for Paul. Did he think he was about to die and pour out his life? Possibly. There are others that see the drink offering is more about his service in serving the gospel and serving churches. Just so you can get a picture of the drink offering, just go to Numbers. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers 15. Just quickly, so I want you to get a picture of how this worked. This is one of several sections I could take you to. But Numbers 15, fourth book of your Bible, the Lord speaks to Moses and says, Numbers fifteen two, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when you enter the land w- where you are to live, which I am giving you, then make an offering by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering, Numbers fifteen three, or a sacrifice to fulfill a special vow or as a free will offering, uh, or in your appointed times to make a soothing aroma to the Lord from the herd or from the flock. The one who presents his offering shall present it to the Lord, a grain offering of one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with one-fourth of a hin of oil. You shall prepare, prepare wine for the drink offering, one-fourth of a hin, with the burnt offering or for the sacrifice for each lamb. And then he's gonna talk about uh, an offering of a bowl. And it, here's what it looks like The bigger the animal, the more wine. In Jewish uh, culture, wine represents joy and life. And this fits really well with our text in Philippians. It's kind of like this. When my life is being poured out as a drink offering to the Lord, the steam arises with the, the sacrifice of Christ, if you will. That's already paid for our salvation. But now my service goes on top of that. I work out what God has worked in me. And my life becomes a sweet smelling aroma to the Lord wrapped in this idea of the joy of the drink offering. Here's the thing, back to Philippians and let me just round out the thought. You're going to find something in life that may surprise you. You're gonna find that the greatest joy is in serving God and others. The more you are consumed with self, I would argue the more miserable you will be. If you want to revive your spiritual life, if you want to revi- revive dryness or whatever it might be, whatever you would describe it, if you're at a low point in your walk with the Lord, I would argue that you start serving God and others, dive into the deep end, if you will, and you're gonna find more joy in your life. Now, I will balance this out by telling you that serving God and serving others does make you feel spent at times, I'm in the ministry. I know what it's like to give myself away consistently. But here's what I found. I give myself away and the Lord keeps filling me up. The joy of the Lord, Nehemiah 8.10, is my strength. It doesn't mean I'm not tired at times. It doesn't mean like I don't have my moments where I think I should get a real job. (laughs) Quote, unquote. That's a joke. But anyway. But you get the point. Yes. Yes. You do get tired. Yes, it can be a challenge. But I found that every time I need the supernatural resources of God, he fills my cup. But he doesn't fill it so that I'll just be filled. He fills it so that I can overflow into the lives of others. Amen? So that's something I would challenge you with, is to be thinking about your life being God-governed as a drink offering. Lord, who do you want me to pour into this week? And I would also encourage you to think about the thought of joy, because even though we talked about working out your salvation with fear and trembling, I want you to see how Paul talks about joy. In uh, 17, he talks about, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. In 18, Philippians 2:18, he says, And you too, I urge, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. And so here's the thing. Here's a practical application. Maybe this week you could think about, how could I share my joy with someone? Maybe the typical sharing you do is not joy. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's more negative. How could you share your joy this week with someone else? Maybe it's a text message. Maybe you would say something like this. I'm rejoicing that you're in my life. I'm I'm rejoicing in what God has done in your life, what I've seen and, and maybe they'll share some joy back with you. You can see the mutual sharing of joy. Pour it out is the idea. Do you know the Bible says that the Messiah, Jesus, this is Hebrews 1.9, if you're taking notes, quoting from Psalm 45, 6 and 7, says of Messiah that he had the oil of gladness or joy above his companions, So while Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, Isaiah 53, he also had the oil of joy above those around him. We often think, you know, we know the Bible says if we looked into a crowd, Jesus wouldn't have a halo. He wouldn't be easily identifiable from the outside or the exterior. But one thing that exuded from his life was joy. And I want that to be true of me. Amen? In fact, joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. And so as we walk with the Lord, I think we're going to find that we can share mutual joy with one another. In fact, I would argue that that's one of the beauties of being a Christian, is to share the joy of the Lord with others. Amen? Especially those who know that joy as well. Now, we'll move a little more quickly here as we move to the next. We've dealt with Paul being a drink offering, that metaphor. Now we go to Timothy, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Philippians two nineteen Timothy to you shortly. Timothy's name means honored, uh, honoring God or honored God, so a great name. I sent. I hope to send him to you shortly, so that I may also also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. Now, Paul, in sending Timothy, would give up something very important. When you were in Roman imprisonment, they did not give you three squares and a cot and cable TV. If you were going to eat in Roman imprisonment, others who loved you had to bring you food. This is the way it worked. And if you didn't have someone bring it to you who loved you, you're dead. So Timothy was with Paul. And for Paul to send Timothy would be a great sacrifice because he would lose someone who was obviously ministering to his needs while he was under some form of Roman imprisonment. Why would Paul do this? He says in verse 20, I have no one else of kindred spirit, only place in the, in the New Testament where you find this word, literally he's a soul brother, who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. I have no one else who I could feel a confidence in sending That I know would be genuinely concerned for you and not themselves. For they all, and here's other teachers, maybe teachers in Rome, maybe those who were motivated by self-interest, as we saw in chapter one, maybe uh, Judaizers, as we'll learn in chapter three, they seek all after their own interests and not those of Christ Jesus. It seems that the typical MO, even of so-called preachers, is often self-interest. And that's sad. We are to live for the interests of Christ and we're, we're to put others' interests above ourselves as we started the chapter with that idea. Timothy is a man I could send, Paul says, and I have confidence that he would represent me well. In fact, Timothy It says here, you know of his proven worth. And this is what I would say is when we're working out our salvation, we're going to prove it over consistency over time. You know of Timothy's proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. I have three boys. I'm blessed to have three boys who know the Lord. And I have confidence that if I sent one of my sons to represent me, they would represent me well. That's a great blessing. But I also have many people in this congregation, both male and female, but I'll stick with the son analogy, spiritual sons, if you will, whom I could send in my name and feel a confidence that they would represent me well. I'm not making it about me. I'm just giving you an, an image that you can understand here that we can kind of go with the text. A confidence that I could send someone Out in in representing living truth or representing my name or the elders, et cetera, and they would represent us well. And the reason that Timothy could do that is because Paul had mentored him. So I'm gonna give you something else about thinking about working out your salvation, another practical. Every Paul needs a Timothy. Every Timothy needs a Paul. What do I mean? I mean that you should be mentoring someone in your life and someone should be mentoring you. Amen? It needs to come both directions. And this is how you get poured into and pour out. You need to have a Timothy and a Paul in your life. And even have a Barnabas. Barnabas was an encourager. Amen? Always good to surround yourself with encouragement as well. So think about that. That's, that's ways that you work out your salvation with fear and trembling and with great joy. You don't make it about your own interests. Heard a story about a lady who lived in a big city neighborhood. It was all going downhill very fast, overcrowded, noisy, dirty. It was a bad situation. So the woman decided that she would do something about it. She knew that money would be required to change the situation. So she started a fundraising drive. She called people, sent letters, got some financial support from a private foundation. She finally raised $85,000 and then used the money to move out of the neighborhood. That's looking out for your own personal (laughs) interests instead of the interests of others. But Timothy had proved himself under Paul's tutelage. He was a soul brother, a kindred spirit. And Paul had confidence in him. And he said, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. Paul didn't know which way it was going to go before the emperor and I trust in the Lord 24 that I myself also shall be coming shortly. So there's Timothy. Paul, a drink offering unto the Lord. Timothy, available. Uh, availability is a key way to work out your salvation. Just be available to God. That was Timothy. You want me to go, Paul? I'll go. You want me to represent you over here? You can't go. You're in prison right now. I'll go. That is an awesome thing, and I see a lot of that beauty among this fellowship. 25, the third uh, man working out his salvation with joy and fear is Epaphroditus. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. That's a Gentile name, by the way. I would imagine that if you're new to the things of the Lord, to the Bible, you may have never heard of this man before. I would imagine that if I took a microphone out on the street and I said, tell me something about Epaphroditus, people would go a pastor who? And I would think that maybe even in churches, maybe not a lot of us know about this man. But this Gentile, he might just have been a congregation member, a lay leader, if you will. Maybe he was the pastor of the church. We don't know. He gets one of the highest uh, grades, if you will, from the Apostle Paul. Notice how he's described, and his name means lovely or charming. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Notice five descriptions. He's my brother, my fellow worker or co-laborer too. He's my fellow soldier or warrior. He's also your messenger, apostolon. And he's uh, a minister to my need. What a great description of a man of God. Brother, co-laborer, fellow soldier, messenger, and minister. This guy... Epaphroditus was a combination of velvet and steel. He was lovely, and yet he was a warrior. I want to talk to the men for a second. It is possible to have this balance in your life, brothers, where you can be soft when you need to be soft and strong when you need to be strong. And like a lot of things, I think in life, I watch men kind of maybe go one way or the other. You know, it was said of Abraham Lincoln that he was a combination of velvet and steel. He knew when to be soft, and he knew when he had to be strong, and he had to make some tough decisions, many of which he made from his knees because it was too much for him. And I, and I would just say to all of you who, uh, you know, all of you men, and, and if, uh, speaking, you know, thinking of husbands too, we, we've got to be a good combination of this. You take the three names together. Paul means humble or little. Timothy means honoring God. And Epaphroditus means lovely or charming. And you have a great kind of coming together of aspects of what it means to serve God well. You walk in humility, you walk in honor, and you try to be a lovely and charming man or woman of God. Now, this Epaphroditus, here's what we know about him. He was longing for y'all, for the Philippian church, and was distressed. He was full of heaviness because you, the church, had heard that he was sick. Now here's what happened. Epaphroditus volunteered to take a long journey from Philippi to Rome to bring a financial gift to the apostle Paul. Remember, the Philippian church was the only church that had helped Paul multiple times with a financial offering. So think about it this way. The church was gathered like we are right now and someone said something like this. Paul's in prison. He has needs. Let's take an offering and we're gonna get it to Paul to make sure he's taken care of. After all, he's responsible for planning the church. We love him, etc." They took a financial offering and they said, do we have a volunteer to bring it to Rome to Paul? And I would imagine that not a lot of hands shot up because before there were planes, trains, and automobiles, It was an 800-mile trip from Philippi to Rome, and it would take you probably six weeks. You were either going to walk it, or you were going to have some sort of beast to carry you. And the travel in those days was arduous. It included rivers, robbers, uh, the threat of disease. All of the above occurred. And Epaphroditus said, Here I am, send me. Now, we, we have a hard time getting consistency in a church attendance in the modern church. You know, sometimes we try to rally people, hey, let's go up, you know, and, and do this or that, evangelism, go up to Sacramento, and sometimes you hear, you know, uh, birds chirping, and there's not a lot going on. But imagine Epaphroditus, 800 miles, it would take him six weeks in both directions, and he said yes. And he began to travel, and he traveled with a group of people. And this is why the Philippian church had heard that he was sick. Somewhere along the journey, let's just imagine for the sake of discussion, maybe at the halfway point, he succumbed to an illness. And one of the group went back to the Philippian church and told the church to pray for him. And they couldn't move him, apparently, because he was so ill. He couldn't get to Rome, and he couldn't go back to the church. He was that sick. So part of the group probably stayed and took care of him, trying to nurse him back to health. And one of the group went back to the church and said, we need to pray for Epaphroditus. He is sick. And uh, Epaphroditus' focus is not on his sickness or what happened to him, but on the church. He was concerned about the church. Indeed, he was sick, 27, to the point of death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Some of you are familiar with Kindred Community Church right down the 91 freeway. If you're ever traveling down the 91, you see the cross lit up right near Gypsum Canyon off-ramp. That's Kindred Community Church. Their first pastor was Pastor Chuck Obremski. He was a uh, chaplain for the Angels baseball team and the Rams football team very beloved man, faithful uh, teacher, expositor of the Word of God. I became familiar with him. I went up to do a wedding uh, on that property. It's a, it's a beautiful property. And the sound guy gave me some of Chuck's teaching. And anyway, I became familiar with him. And as Chuck's story went, went on, um, one day he discovered that he had a lump in his thigh area, and it turned out to be cancerous. And Chuck went through a, a battle with cancer. And you can imagine how many people were praying for him. Professional athletes, the church, which was hundreds of people were praying for him. And uh, he went through this battle and he got worse and worse. And, but he refused to be out of the pulpit. And he would schedule procedures on a Monday so he could preach on Sunday. So he had enough time to try to recover. And the cancer got worse and worse. And in his last messages, he had oxygen up at the pulpit. And from some of the accounts... He had a cup up with him, and he was spitting blood into a cup as he was preaching to his people. He was a fighter. He started preaching to them about heaven. The Lord took him home. And, and I bring this up to tell you. Two weeks ago, if you were here, I talked about miracles. And I read excerpts of miracle accounts from J.P. Moreland's book. Let me tell you something about J.P. Moreland. JP has a balanced view of miracles. Remember, miracles are miracles for a reason. They don't happen all the time. And when I had a chance to talk with JP, my wife and I were in the office. Uh, JP had a bandage under his eye, and he's been going through a difficulty that's affected his eyesight, and doctors are trying to figure out what's going on, and, and it's it's a pretty severe situation right now. So I said, Can I pray for you? I laid hands on JP Moreland. He put his hands up and we prayed. Nothing happened in a moment, but he just basically said, if anything happens, I'll let you know. Thank you for praying for me. Here's my point. Miracles do occur, and God does heal. But God doesn't always heal. People die every day, and Christians, when they die, get the ultimate healing. Amen? Amen? Now, it doesn't mean that we don't pray for miracles. Here's what I've seen in the church. I've seen people over here, we'll call them a group of people that sometimes are categorized as cessationists, but even cessationists don't deny that God can do miracles. But they, they would argue the gift of tongues and those prophetic gifts ceased at the closing of the first century of the apostolic age. And I understand why they take that position. And... the the scriptures that they use, and some of the abuses that they've seen with the gift of tongues, etc. But I will tell you that the first, about three, four centuries of church history, Irenaeus and others, used miracle accounts as an argument for the truth of Christianity. So miracles did not cease at the end of the first century. They continued on, and apologists in the early church used them as evidence for the veracity of the Christian faith. So we have a group of people over here that oftentimes are kind of, uh, you know, maybe thinking that that stuff is pretty much ended. Maybe there's an occasional miracle. And then you have people over here, and it seems like all they ever talk about is the gift of tongues, signs and wonders and miracles. And I would say that in this case, we need a good biblical balance, brethren. We need to understand that our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and miracles do occur but he's sovereign over those. But sometimes people get sick, leaders, devoted servants, high accolades given to Epaphroditus, and he got sick, and apparently he was sick for a long time to the point where most people thought he was going to die. And here's part of what I want you to think about. If the Apostle Paul could just on demand pray for healing... Once he heard about Epaphroditus' sickness, sickness, he could have just said, in Jesus' name, Epaphroditus is healed. But that's not how it works. Not even for the Apostle Paul. Remember, three times he prayed about a thorn in his own flesh. And he lifted it up to the Lord, and the Lord's response was, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. And then Paul said, I'm going to rejoice in that then, if that's what God is doing in my life. When you pray, sometimes God says no. Sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says wait. And Charles Stanley added this fourth one. Sometimes he says, my grace is sufficient for you. Here's the confidence that we have in God. We know that he's working. Amen. We know he's working for his great plan and he's working for our good. We get from Romans 8, 28. But we've got to have a biblically balanced view. And if we don't, we're gonna get off course and we're gonna have someone tell us, oh, you're not healed of that because you don't have enough faith. And that is a lie. You can muster all the faith you want, but God is still going to be sovereign. Does God honor faith? Yes. Is God still doing supernatural things in the world? Yes. But let's have a biblical balance because not everybody who was sick in the Bible got healed. Not even Epaphroditus And of course, Paul dealt with his own problems, may may have had an eye problem as well. I, I hope you can see the biblical balance. Let's pray that the Lord does miracles in our time, but for his glory, but let's not press it too far. Verse 28, therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly in order that when you see him again, you may rejoice and be less, he may be less concerned about you, or I may be less concerned about you, uh, once again, the concern is not Paul or Epaphroditus. It is the burden of the heart of the church. How beautiful. Therefore, receive him in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard. The ESV has it this way. Honor such men. Uh, honor men like him. Now, Paul wouldn't say that if Epaphroditus lacked faith, right? Right? He was a man who gave himself away for the cause of Christ. In fact, verse 30 sums it up. Because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. You couldn't do everything you wanted because I was in Roman imprisonment. So he came, he risked his life for the cause of Christ. That is a life poured out in service. Now, we're gonna pause for a moment we have a, a, a group of individuals who are going to begin to pass the communion elements. Let me just explain for a moment. You know that since all the COVID stuff, we've had the plastic bags when you walk in. We got a lot of complaints about those. None of you were doing Philippians 2.14. You're, you're grumbling and complaining. You said it should have been a Ziploc, all this kind of stuff. No, I'm just kidding. Well, maybe a little bit of complaining, but But, you know, they got noisy and et cetera. And and maybe we're we're missing a little bit of the communal aspect. We're going back to the way we used to do it. Amen? What does that mean? That means that these servants are about to hand the elements to you and they're gonna pass them down the aisle and you can take the matzah and the juice and then hold them and we'll, I'll lead you together. So servants, if you begin to, Uh, hand those out. I I just want to say that if you're a believer in Jesus, we invite you to partake of the Lord's Supper. If you're not a believer, why don't you just become one right now and then take the Lord's Supper? Amen? (laughs) Thank you, Don. So as those go around, I'm going to conclude this message. I want to give you a little summary, and uh, we're going to end with the ultimate image of a drink offering. Here's a conclusion. I want you just to meditate on these words just for a moment. When you begin to merge these three lives together with their qualities, you have a portrait of working out one's salvation. Paul, pouring out his life as a drink offering for God in joyful service to others. Timothy, a kindred spirit, concerned for the welfare of others, putting Christ's interests first, Demonstrating through time his proven worth. Serving alongside Paul in humility as a son would serve his father in the cause of the gospel. And Epaphroditus, a brother, a fellow worker, though he was a Gentile, Paul calls him a brother. A fellow warrior or soldier. A messenger and a minister. A man who risked his life for the cause of Christ. A man of honor. All three men, I want you to imagine, All three men as drink offerings working out their salvation. And as all three lives are poured out, if you will, a sweet smelling aroma goes up to the Lord. These three lives reflecting lives sold out to the gospel and the joy of serving and honoring the king. I also think of lives like Lydia and the servant girl and the Philippian jailer. And I think of all these lives touched because one man who was an enemy of the gospel, preached in a little town called Philippi. You never know what the Lord's gonna do with your life if you just decide to spend it on eternal things. Amen? Okay, so I'm gonna end with Luke 22 and take you to the ultimate drink offering. You can turn there if you'd like. You don't have to. I know you're trying to manage the communion elements as well. So this metaphor does carry over to the life of Jesus and fits beautifully with communion and this is Luke 22 I'm going to read the section you don't have to partake of the elements yet but here's what Luke records when Jesus Luke 22:19 had taken some bread and given thanks he broke it and gave it to them saying this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me 20 in the same way he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup, which is poured out, there's the idea of the drink offering, for you is the new covenant in my blood. The ultimate drink offering is our Lord, who poured out his blood that I might be forgiven. Amen? Now, when I pour out my life, I'm simply doing it in response to the great salvation that is a gift of God. Amen? So if you have not received the gift of salvation in Christ, that's what you and I need to understand, that Jesus Christ poured out his life on the altar, if you will, for the joy set before him to save you. He poured out his life unto death to secure my salvation. Now my response is to take that joy represented in the wine, and pour it on top, if you will. I can't add one thing to my salvation. That's paid in full. I simply want my life to, to be a reflection of that great salvation and go up as a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. That's the picture in Philippians chapter two. Amen? Amen? On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Thank you, Lord. In the same manner, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Thank you, Lord. Lord Jesus, as we drink the juice, we, we think about the great price you paid for our redemption. Thank you that you were willing to give yourself up for us. Would you help us to have this attitude in us, which was in you? And Lord, we're so grateful that you've done the work. It's paid in full, but now we want to work out what you're working in us. Thank you for Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus. And Lord, I think of this wonderful congregation, and the Lydia's, and the Paul's, and the Epaphroditus and The faithful workers. I think of Andy and Nadine Spradley, twenty-five years in Macedonia, from a little church in Corona, a normal everyday family, a quarter of a century to get the gospel to Macedonia. Lord, I pray that when they wrap up their time there, they would be treated with honor. You know, we'll we'll line up at airports for teams that win championships, yet. Missionaries will come off the field and often there's no one there. Oh, Lord, forgive us. Let us us put value on the things that you value. Let us live our lives as drink offerings unto God. Help us this week to share joy, mutual joy with one another, the joy of our salvation. And may the joy of the Lord be our strength. Amen. Would you stand?